The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin a Tuesday. Gary, good morning. Good morning. Coming up on the show today, hmm. What kind of banking business was SVB involved in? We'll get to that. You may be a little bit shocked. Uh, You know, we talked the other day about imagery and BS, uh, the things that uh, the tech sector sells today, and many of the, quote, woke banks are also selling that coming up. We've talked about that the last couple of days. More information that will surprise you uh, on that. Uh, The, the, uh, wow. The Bragg uh, grand jury, uh, now, if a decision comes down, it will not be until uh, Wednesday. Uh, We will get uh, to uh, that. Some interesting polling out there about American values. Did you see that Matt Taibbi, who was part of the Twitter files, that when he tested, the day that he testified before Congress, an IRS agent showed up at his door. Mm. We'll get to that story because... Now, Jim Jordan, the Republicans, the, the interesting thing is it was the whole he was there to talk about the weaponization of government. Yeah. And an IRS agent shows up at his door and he's like, what's going on? And we'll go through the story where he says they owe me money. I don't owe them anything. Mm. And it's it's about some problems that they had just accepting his taxes because of it seems like technological problems. Well, um Anytime I've ever dealt with the IRS, when there's a question, you get a letter. Nobody yeah. ever shows up at your door. Right. And the coincidence shows up at his door the day that he is testifying on the weaponization of government. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, plus, I saw this headline. We'll talk mm. about this because uh, it relates to you. Look at that headline. Yeah. Democrats versus parents. Ooh. Eric said that. Yep. I believe you probably said that first. I. I yeah, could be wrong. But um, you were one of the first. That I said didn't. That. I didn't hear anybody else say it, but yeah. I was thinking as a parent with the Democrats going after. They thought they were going after, and the liberal left was going after the Republicans in Florida at the time. And I said from the beginning, it's insane that not only the far left would go after not the Republicans. The battle that they that they created was with the parents of Florida, 
And, of course, now that you can extrapolate that out to the entire country. And then Disney jumping in. The one company I would tell you should never, <laughs> ever go to war with parents. <laughs> and they did. So that we will uh, uh, get to. I love this one. White House says that Joe Biden will veto the House GOP's energy package mm. if it gets to him. What's well, never going to get to him? So why did he say that? Right, right. Is he feeling the pressure from the left to come down? And, and of course, Republicans are doing it, and and they wish to have a vote in the House so they can get everybody in, you know, the Democrats in the House to vote against energy production, right, which is what right. Americans want right now. Get them on now, record now. If if. What I love is the defiance. I will not sign it. Well, the Republicans are praying that it would get that far, and you wouldn't sign right, it. Right, right. <laughs> so are, are you? Are you? Are, do you believe that some of your Democratic friends in the Senate are going to help it pass in the Senate? Look, go back to talking ice cream. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was bad yesterday. What a rocky road cluster that was. Yeah, that's and. Uh, the uh, terrible news yesterday, the Nashville, Nashville uh, uh, shooting, hmm. and, you know, you and I were talking about still how some of the media outlets, one of the things, just very quickly, one of the things we don't do is we don't speculate. I've already got three or four emails, people speculating, I heard this, or somebody told me this, yeah. and if you take yeah. this and add it, then this would be, you don't know, I don't know, we don't speculate on the, uh, we don't speculate when an investigation is this early, and we don't speculate when people are mourning mm -hmm. uh, as they are in uh, in Nashville. Children were killed here. Uh, we will have plenty of time to do that. We bring you what we know, but when you have the media and even the police that uh, still you have media reports uh, saying that uh, the uh, the suspect is a excuse me the the uh, the, the dead suspect uh, is it was a. Um, uh, a uh, transgender woman transgender woman mm -hmm. and that's from what we know the update is incorrect it's transgender yes. yeah a spokesman man. for the uh for the police there Kristen mumford is a spokesman and said that uh she was born a female right biological that would if if you're transitioning to a man you're that would be a transgender man not a transgender woman right Right. biological so, woman and the confusion on that and how and and that's why we don't speculate early on we wait till we get you know what the uh the the evidence is now you have um you have uh, uh some republican politicians are already saying you need to make that manifesto uh absolutely clear uh you know and, and have transparency and let the public see uh what was uh what was what's uh, going on there mm. also very quickly you know you you get the um uh, do I have it here on um, on uh, and Twitter very quickly here? I want I, I saw it on Twitter before. It was uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald making a a point, and I know exactly the point he was making. And it's who radicalized the Nashville shooter? Mm. What media outlets, pundits, and politicians share and spread the murderer's ideology? This is the twisted game that's played every time there's a massacre that pre presents the opportunity to blame one's enemies, it can't be done selectively, which we know what he means, that mm -hmm. whenever this happens, uh, if it is somebody who may, you know, uh, hold a, uh, you know, be aligned in some way, mindset or whatever, with the Republican Party, that's the first thing the media comes out with. Mm -hmm. 
And so in this particular case, knowing that there's a manifesto and I guess speculating, you know, as to what radicalized this shooter because there's a manifesto and that the dead suspect is a transgender, we know where Glenn Greenwald's going here. Mm-hmm. If it's right. good for if it's good if it's good analysis uh, for the left, then it should be good analysis for the right. Or if it's bad analysis for the left, it should be bad analysis for the right. But, yeah, right. Well, the truth is the truth. Yeah, and and that's what needs to be discovered here. And this is what happens in the wake of such horrific events. We hope to learn from them. Right. And and again, it's it's you know it's the the, the simple thing that. Uh, if the Nashville shooter uh, did that, or or whatever reason the Nashville shooter did it, just like if it was some other shooting, if that person aligns mindset-wise with anybody else, then the left blames the mindset, mm-hmm. not the perversion or w- the instability of that person to take news that millions take every single day right. and don't kill, right. and then blame that it's the mindset of that, remember the uh, uh, Gabby Gabby Gifford shooting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the Steve Scalise shooting. This, uh, this as well as it, because it was in that case it was somebody aligned with the left, and I it was a Bernie supporter at one time, right? And I you know, look, I don't blame Bernie Sanders. Well, for that, that well that was the point that didn't happen, but in, exactly. the, in the Gabby Giffords case, we know, you know what happened in that one, right? Right. Well, they had the media had to put something basically make something up. a false narrative. Yeah, then make something up, right. you know, and 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 make that about the right and how they uh, word and and position their ads and campaign, and that's not what happened here. It's not what and, happened there, and that was going after Sarah Palin, right? At that particular point, right? Is that lawsuit still going on? Was it dismissed against the New York Times? I know it was. I know it was brought back once. I don't know what the status is actually. Yeah, I can't neither remember. do I. You know, the one judge that came in early on and said, "Well, they apologized. They printed a retraction." When 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 they went with that story at the New York Times, we both came in saying, "Did somebody at the New York Times just wake up from being asleep for ten years, fifteen years?" Yeah. Did they? Right. Why are they going back to such an old story that's been resolved for a long time? And was disproven early on. Yeah. And that was the thing that got us. We said, well, that right. th- that is when we said, well, the reason you can, you know, because obviously Sarah Palin's a public figure mm-hmm. and you have to rise to malice. We right. just said, well, common sense tells you it's malice, but they claimed it was just complete ignorance and a mistake mm-hmm. that they're just completely clueless. Right. And the one judge basically bought that. Well, they were just clueless. And then they apologized later on. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, that was so well known. You're telling me the New York Times didn't know that. And it's like, OK, so you take a shot, then you claim that and you get away with it for a short period of time. Right. You know, so. Oh, did you see uh, just on this uh, on defamation stuff? We didn't get to talk about it yet. But uh, did you see. uh Former Attorney General Bill Barr mm. said that uh, that um, he believes that's what what is out so far is that uh, Dominion doesn't have a case against Fox. Mm. In his now, remember, uh, 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 former Attorney General Bill Barr, you know, got in that 
verbal altercation with Trump that the election wasn't stolen. Right. But he's just talking about defamation law. And yeah, you, so he also had some words to say about the documents, uh, the documents found at Mar-a-Lago. You know, so the, the yeah. point is, is that he's not always out defending Trump. No, no. Uh, but on the, the, the defamation, um, uh, you know, he's, as you he saying, he goes, it's such a tough call because if you look at it now, he didn't get, I don't believe he, I didn't see where he got into it. The, 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 the problem is if you're doing what we do on the air and somebody comes up and gives false information, you're not saying it. They are, mm. they, they may represent that, that, that person mm. and it may be defamatory, but it's on the person who said it, not the person who allowed it, even if they knowingly disagreed with it because you had the emails still they're not saying it and so since um they're not saying it you can only hold the people you know uh charged with defamation the people that actually said it Hmm. where if you look for example if you look at Sidney Powell Mm -hmm. or Mike Lindell as individuals they said things that were absolutely false what I would wonder is if there's any consideration for the behavior. Look, we we talked about the lawsuits when there was just the threat of the lawsuit. Remember, they wrote the letter saying, "Look, if you don't uh, come out and say this is incorrect, we're going to we're going to take you to court." And Newsmax did, for example. Mm-hmm. And so, when the entire thing um, from the from the standpoint of the uh, software companies, because the software companies, uh, I think it was Dominion that wrote the letter to all of them first and said, we'll take, we'll consider this malice if you don't change this right now and correct this right now. And here's my question. Would there be any consideration for the fact that essentially after there was a mention even of a lawsuit, the behavior and how they brought guests on and what they allowed the guests to say changed. Would that be them admitting wrongdoing from the past? Can you convince a judge or jury in that case? Uh, you would have a, I, I think what he's, I think what Barr was going at, I may be going too in, in depth and it may be incorrect as to what his analysis is, but it's the public figure part of it that has to be absolutely clear that you were involved in malice. If it was a private citizen and you did that, I, you know, I wonder what Bill Barr's comments would be on that. Mm. Now, Dominion is a, is a company, but the defamation definitely has the potential of hurting their future billing. Right, you know, it actually right. costs them money. Right. Now, there's a great debate that Dominion's wanting way more than they actually, you know, got hurt, right. Mon- right. you know, monetarily speaking. Mm-hmm. And so you would ask in this case, you know, would would punitive damages not be I mean, what's the total that they're they're suing everybody for, like four billion or something? I mean, yeah. the total. Yeah. And, and it's like if they come back and go, OK, here's where your business model, here's what you're doing. All right. For the next uh uh, you know, uh, 10 years, you may have made $10 million in profits. Mm. So here's a hundred million, but you don't get 4 billion. Right. And then you say, well, punitive damages. Well, what does it mean? You've, you've been cleared in court. 
you've got your actual losses and what you and and a idea of what they would be for the next 10 years mm-hmm. what else would you want right but i the thing is and he wasn't he wasn't as clear as i would have liked him on the law hmm. and it's funny cuz he's bill barr so you yeah right but i just i thought it was interesting because he uh you know again is the one that told trump it wasn't stolen mm-hmm. and you know that they you know and then he was gone early as we all right. remember right and so he came out and actually said no uh that the fox personalities that's all he said it was mm-hmm. the fox mm-hmm. personalities he wasn't talking about anybody else in their unique situation mm-hmm. can't be found liable now, morally, uh, if you, morally or ethically, if you look at it journalistically speaking, the emails burn them big time because yeah, they, they were right. saying they were saying one thing, you know, on the emails that they were not saying on the air. Mm-hmm. And if you say one thing on the air and you're just quiet, that in itself hurts your reputation. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah, so yeah. It, I it, guess we'll see. But that's an interesting take, and that's after. What was it a, a few weeks ago? Who was it that wrote about, you know, the hyperbole and based it on the case from um, what's her name from uh, MSNBC saying, look, we've already set the precedent, Rachel Maddow I like in the that. Rachel Maddow case. So it's it's all hyperbole and their audience knows that right. it's not really their, their their audience basically knew. And this was one of the things that they, you know, will they use that for the for the as a precedent for Fox? That the 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 uh, Rachel Maddow, everyone yeah. knows she's lying. Right, her audience they know knows she's lying. True. She knows that's the whole point. Yeah. We said she knows she's lying. The audience knows she's lying. She knows the audience knows she's lying. So there can't be defamation because everybody knows that she's lying. Exactly. And if they apply that to the to this case, and you know, from Dominion, wow, eight six six ninety red eye. It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice, winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Make sure your fluids are at proper levels ahead of spring. Fluid is to trucks what blood is to the human body. Low fluid can be just as harmful as no fluid, and the damage this will cause to your truck is unavoidable. Pay attention to your engine oil, coolant levels, power steering fluid, transmission fluid, brake fluid, and differential fluid. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed, bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. 
With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby, and truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Think about this, you know, that that because we were talking about the the uh, uh, the defamation lawsuit, uh, uh, Dominion and, uh, and, and Fox News, mm-hmm. and what Bill Barr said about that last week, said he doesn't believe that there's a case against the hosts. Um, but <laughs> you asked about what if they use the same defense as uh, Rachel Maddow got out of a defamation lawsuit because the judge said that, well, she's lying. Everybody knows she's lying. She knows that everybody knows that she's lying. Everybody knows she's lying. So how can it be defamation? Think about this. It's gotten so bad that now a news opinion show is considered parody. Yeah. It's considered like the Babylon Bee. Well, I could see a liberal I mean, judge saying that. Ah, Nobody puts any credibility in Fox News. They're just, it's a bunch of garbage. You're a bunch of clowns, blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows it's not true. What they're saying is not true. Every night they tell lies. I can see a liberal judge saying that. And then that means those hosts get away with it. So good, you know you want to listen again with our podcast, available on our app and at RedEyeRadioShow.com. And he's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, all right, so Wall Street Journal did a poll, all right, and this has uh, caused uh, a lot of chatter yesterday. They did a poll on values, mm, okay. long-held values like patriotism, religion, and community involvement are in retreat across the United States, according to this poll released on Monday. The Wall Street Journal uh, uh, NORC survey found that just 38% of Americans say patriotism is very important to them, down from 70% who said the same in 1998. Slightly more Americans, 39%, place the same importance on religion down from 62% who said faith was very important to them 25 years ago. The percentage of Americans who said raising children was very important 
fell to 30% in the new poll, down from 59% in 1998. Mm. Meanwhile, the share of Americans who value involvement in their community as very important fell to 27% down from a high of 62% in 2019. The share of Americans who valued involvement in their community as very important fell to 27% in four from 27% down from 62% just four years ago. The post-COVID world. You're on your own. A belief in tolerance for others is now deemed very important by 58% of Americans, down from 80% four years ago. Hmm. Uh, By contrast, the only value that has grown in worth is money. 43% calling it very important compared to 31% who said the same in 1998. Still only 43%? (laughs) Perhaps the toll of our political division, because perhaps the toll of our political division, COVID and the lowest economic confidence in decades is having uh, a startling effect on core values. Now, there's a difference in age, by the way. Mm -hmm. Huge difference if you look at age, for example, on on, uh, on patriotism. Mm -hmm. If you actually look at it, uh, old people uh, are much more patriotic than young people. Yeah. I think it was 23% of young people right. say, say that patriotism is is very important. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. This is what we're teaching. This is what we've been teaching the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's what we've been teaching. If you've been told America sucks, if you don't know, there's another, I saw it on YouTube yesterday, there's another uh, uh, spring break on the beach asking questions to students, simple mm-hmm. questions, completely clueless on basic things. Yeah. You know, when right. when did the United States declare independence? I don't think anybody they interviewed knew the question, knew the answer to that. Mm-hmm. We know the majority of people don't, uh, don't the majority of Americans. And I would like to see an age breakdown on this one. The majority of Americans cannot tell you the three branches of government. The major. How can you be patriotic if you have no idea what the hell our country is about? How can you be patriotic if you don't under? If there's not a reason to be patriotic because you're completely ignorant about the Constitution and why it was set up the way that it was set up. This is how you get to the point of a growing consensus of the number of people wanting to change or abolish parts of the Constitution. Ignorance. They read a meme. It doesn't work for me, so I need to change it. Right. You do see a lot of this. I mean, you can sense selfishness is growing, and we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. Mm-hmm. You know, for I'll, I was saying this. I remember I was I was living, uh, I was uh, working uh, in Rockford, Illinois, and our great affiliate, WROK. And I can't remember if it was the mayor at the time, but somebody said, you know, came out and said, racism is the worst problem we have today. And I said, no, it's not. Hmm. The worst problem we have is what it's always been. 
envy and jealousy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all, that's always been it. And yeah. Envy and envy and jelly, which uh, envy and jelly <laughs> and jealousy, which again is all part of selfishness. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what leads. And the fact that you know you've been told that your country sucks and that you're a victim over and over again. When you tell young people that they have no future because they're a victim, well, what the hell do you expect? I love it in the in the poll. They go, well, they 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 talk about the different things: our political division, uh, COVID, the economic conditions, the Trump presidency, through the mm-hmm. Trump presidency. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, I, yeah, you know, and and you tell them they're a victim. You also tell them that the oceans are boiling. And then yeah. you turn around and ask them to name the oceans. You have you have no future. <laughs> name the oceans. <laughs> so I mean, I'm not surprised by this at all. Shocking. Why is it shocking? You, no, I mean, you are you are a product of your environment. Yep. And what yep. and what you have learned and what you understand. Mm-hmm. And we have a, the lib, the liberal mindset which tells you you're a victim, you can't make it, it's impossible to make it, you better grab it while you can, instant gratification. You know, it's the whole, the whole thing on, um, you know, uh, and I, I remember it more over the last 20 years, the whole, well, you know, America isn't the happiest place because the ha- it's not about happiness. Because you're going to find that in your life, tragedy is going to constantly strike. It's being prepared in your life to be able to handle the things that you need to handle. It's about, because the whole thing, what's happiness? Happiness to me is opportunity. Happiness to me is freedom. It's not being given something. What's the definition of many people? Because when you see these happiness surveys, well, this country's the happiest because the government provides the most for them. Oh, so they don't have to work for something, and so they feel that's happiness. I don't know. To me, happiness was struggling and struggling and struggling, and then finally one day saying, man, I've earned this. Yeah, I've earned this, and I earned, you know, that's the kind of satisfaction, but we don't look at that as uh, as, as happiness. You know, c- no. think, think about how bad it is because it's not, it's not even about, you know, because people say, well, the United States stinks. And that's why the patriotism is down. Well, you tell me why community involvement is down even more. Why it's not important to be involved in your community, well, to help your community, to help others. Explain to me how we have uh, more than 50% of people that that fear they're going to lose everything Yeah, in the next several months. That's, that's, but we're, yep. it, it, with a nation of quiet quitters. We yeah. can be quiet quitters sitting there fearing that we're going to lose everything. That's when, when, I'm because sorry. when you make I'm that sorry. gel. I'm you, sorry, but there's there's so much humor in that statement. Well, seriously. The quiet quitters are worried that they're going to lose everything. That's exactly <laughs> the first thing that hit me when we talked about it yesterday. Man. I sure don't feel like doing that job I was doing back when the economy was good. I'm also really afraid I'm going to lose everything. It requires work, and it's never been 
the case where it didn't require work. There are a few exceptions. And here's a breaking news. You're not going to win the lottery. It's not going to be handed to you. You're going to have to work for it. But think about that. Think about in today's world, 27%, only 27% believe community involvement Mm -hmm. is important. Now, if you ask me to define community involvement, my definition might be different than somebody else's. Mine is being a responsible neighbor, looking out for my neighbor, the people who live close to me, and also being a good steward of my neighborhood, making sure that I take care of my things, that I act properly, and that I do my part to make my neighborhood a a nice place to live, and also that I give back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's different ways. I mean, it's, it's, you, you can, you can volunteer, you can, you can uh, you can you can give money. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a ton of different ways that you can give back. Right, right. Uh, and and most people do that. But everything, everybody is a product of their environment and what they have learned. Yeah. And I know that when I was in you know Boy Scouts, all the way up through, all the way to the top, everything was about community involvement. You did that. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. had to. You know, for 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 different ranks. Uh, I remember my Eagle Scout project was a whole cleaning up of uh, of the cemetery in another place, mm. making it you know uh, making it you know look really really you know nice and right right you know, cutting the grass doing all right. that and yeah. so every you know you you did you know you did that you were about you know the whole thing in there was you're to be of service to others that's what your life it's not about happiness of what you get right. and if you get to a certain point and you're lucky to get a certain to a certain point it is about service. And to pay it forward. Yeah. That's interesting, by the way, the parallel. You you said that cleaning up that that cemetery. One of our projects was to clean up an area that was a park that people had been using for a dump. Part of it they'd been using for a dump. It was, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. off the road. And we had to go out there. And I I thought, why are we cleaning up the dump? And they were like, no, it's a park. That's the whole point. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. We had kind of a parallel project there but but no you're right that's part of that involvement i've lived in the same neighborhood since 1995 and i love my neighborhood i love my neighbors uh i've grown old with a number of them and you know but that's part of and and the giving back part you know may not be with the very neighborhood that i'm in but that's part of the community as well. You're, you know, I, I volunteer with a nonprofit and have for years. I, I give, you know, to countless um, uh, nonprofits throughout the year. Um, you know, those are the things that, and and it's and I'm and it's it's nothing out of the but, ordinary. It doesn't make right. me a hero. It, my point is is that. I see that as normal behavior because I, I see so many people doing much more than I ever do. Well, no, because you feel, I mean, there is, a, it, like I said, it's all defining happiness. There's a sense of happiness in not only being productive, but taking what you have gotten in life because you are, have been productive and helping other people grow, making sure your neighborhood is safe. For example, you know, we're, you know, uh, I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm on a, a text message thing now, uh, you know, a group text with 
every like I don't know how many people on the street because there's so mm. many phone numbers. Yeah. But if anything happens, boom, we've got this going on. Who can help? You know, it's yeah. it's it's what you do. You help. You know, your community is your street. Your community yeah. is your your city. Your community is you know to do whatever you you can do, um, within limitations because. People just can't volunteer. They have to go work. They have to become productive. That's why I said you become a productive uh, member of society, and then you take that and you branch out. And people do it each and every day, and it was normal. You know, it was just normal. It's what you did. You always, you just did that. Remember when I first came on this show? Because you forget how people remember. Remember when I first came on this show and we got a call from a listener, from a woman? who, when I was a <laughs> rock DJ in Fort Walton oh, Beach, yeah, Florida. Yeah, yeah. What was the and, thing? She locked her keys in the car? What was what happened? I, I think she got she uh she got a flat, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. She got a flat tire. Yeah. And this is this is probably two thousand when did I start on this show? Two thousand five. So it'd yeah. be, maybe it was two thousand six or something like right. that. Right. It wasn't long in yeah. And so this would have been almost probably over 20 years yeah. because it would have been 83 or 84. And we got a call one night and a woman said, Gary McNamara. And I don't remember it. She said, uh, and I, but I remember the road I used to, I used to go down that road all the time and it right. wasn't a yeah. major road. Right. So I, I, it's like, Oh, must've done it. Right. But, uh, apparently she had a flat or something, or I forgot what it was, a flat. And I pulled over and whatever, changed the flat, did whatever, and made sure that she was taken care of. And she remembered that 20 years later. And here I'm on the radio calling me and telling me that. And you realize that when you do things for people that help them, that there are people out there that are really appreciative of it. There's not an expectation of it. There right. should be in a way. because. And one other time I did it when I was going down uh, 360, which cuts mm-hmm. right in the middle here. I'll never forget driving. I forgot where I was going one day. And there's a guy out there waving his hands, waving his hands, waving his hands, mm. and and he come and uh, uh, so I actually go around and I come back. Mm. It's during the day, wasn't it? Night came, you know, came back. Might have been suspicious during the night, mm. but came back and pulled up and he said, "Thank goodness, all he needed they needed the bar for the jack, oh, to raise it up." And they were two football coaches that had to catch a plane. Oh wow, it was just. 86690 Red Eye. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. If you can't listen live overnight, you can listen when and where you want. Yeah, Eric, looking at this uh, uh, poll uh, that uh, came out on values and, uh, you know, where we stand that the importance of patriotism, religion, having children, community involvement, all crashing over the last uh, few years. 
the one that really is pretty amazing community. You, th- you think about this, you think that something like COVID would probably bring people together, have a sense of community. Mm-hmm. 62% uh, in 2019 believed that community involvement was important, now down to 27%. And we had talked about that and, and uh, you know, the, the fact of it's something that, you know, you are a product of the environment that you grow up in. It's what the, the things that you learn. You know, when you see patriotism, I understand why we don't live in a patriotic nation. Over half of Americans have no idea what our country is about. Yeah. They don't even know. They don't even know why our country is special. They have no idea. They're completely ignorant on how the government is set up and what the founding fathers did. Yet they'll criticize the founding fathers (laughs) not having any idea what they actually put together and what the Constitution is, uh, is, is all about. And so... We also talked about, you know, selfishness that exists today, the entitlement mentality that exists today, envy and jealousy that exists today, promoting to a younger generation over the last 20 years that they are victims. When you have a major political party whose only goal is to create more victims and oppressors, then what the hell do you think you're going to end up with? Exactly this. Yeah, um, look. There were things that were going to change uh, after COVID, no doubt. I think a lot of people may be looking at it, too, that, look, I would rather not live in such a tight-knit community. I want people to keep their distance. <laughs> and that would make a lot of sense. But the fact of the matter is, is that it really has become the generation of, of me and only me. And I'm okay with that. And I don't care what anybody else thinks about that. And if you look at it, another correlation there is the fact that uh, fewer people put an importance into raising children. Well, they don't want to have kids at all. It's about me. I want to live my life. I don't want to live a life for my children. I don't want to be a parent. And so all those values go back to basically the me generation. And not only that. Survey conducted by Savings.com found that 45% of parents with adult children provide financial support Mm. for at least one of their adult children. Mm. The average monthly support from parents to adult children, $1,400 a month. The average is 14. Average. Wow. Furthermore, a majority of 20 to 24-year-olds receive financial support from their parents. You know, at that stage of life, many are completing college and transitioning to their first uh, full-time uh, job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but wow, you know, 1400 $1, You know, and, but, but that's the other thing, too. You know, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about work. I think that looking in the... In the secular world, what has benefited me the most is work. Yeah. When I look back now, and I mean, well, you have a fun job. No, I didn't want to do this job. Never wanted to do this job. I was forced to do this job. I learned to like it Mm -hmm. and then found out, wow. And I tell this to people all the time. Well, I don't, I don't want to do that in my life. You don't know what you want to do in your life. You honestly don't. You, you, what, what you find out in life, for most people, 
I won't I won't include every person uh, in that category. But what you find out is what you end up liking is when you move through the ranks and you end up getting power and control, not to use it in an evil way, but to use it in a productive way. Yeah. And every job that I ever, I never hated any job, and I started out cleaning toilets. And when I got that first $13 check, I was the happiest SOB alive. I couldn't believe that I had a $13 check in my hand. I remember the moment. My, you know, my dad remembers the moment. My parents always talk about, oh, you were so happy when you came home with that $13 check. That was a, that was a benchmark in my life. It was a $10 bill for me mowing a lawn. Well, I mowed lawns before that and, yeah. and did paper routes and things like that. Yeah. But this was my first job. I had to, you know, si- check. Somebody had to sign something. Right. Yeah. Si- sign a check. I had to, yeah. you know, I had to go to a business and actually do it. That right. was, uh, but no, I, yeah, the, the, the paper routes, right. uh, cutting lawns, things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we all did that. Mm-hmm. But that was viewed as more, you know, it's being a lookout for the mob. All those things that right. paid cash before you got a real job. Right. Running numbers. Yeah, stuff, like, you know, right. Like, <laughs> like, what's his name in Goodfellas? <laughs> exactly. That's the kind of job I had. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it was it was fun, but um, but everything, everything that, and I look back, and there were jobs that I took when I when I first became, you know, when when I went into radio for a little bit and failed miserably. That would have been in 1978. Failed miserably. I wasn't prepared to do it, uh, and it didn't pay any money, and so ended up doing what my family, my you know, my family has always done, which is machining. And you know, it was to run some of those machines. You know, I sort of, I I I faked it un, until I became. You make it. <laughs> I faked it till I maked it. <laughs> but I found out I was a pretty good machinist. Yeah. And if I hadn't got laid off uh, right after Thanksgiving of 82, I would have probably never gone into radio. Mm. I probably would have ended up as an engineer someplace. Mm-hmm. But when I got laid off, I said, oh, what the heck? I'll send something out. And I got hired. <laughs> and then that was in the beginning of 83. And it's been, uh, that was uh, 40 years ago this month. Mm. But And then I count, I'm almost to 41 because I count my nine months back in 78. Hmm. so yeah but um and i've done so many things you know from the you know uh banking i didn't want to stay in that i did it for four years and they wanted me to to be in the management trainee program they were really high on me to do that i worked during college there and it was like don't see myself as a banker Hmm. i'm not like newman Hmm. all he wanted to do in life was be a banker remember that Hmm. episode with Hmm. kramer Yeah. Uh, and I'm not that, you know, it, it, there was a lot of pride when I was, when I, when I worked at the bank for that time, but I knew that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Uh, but if I ended, if I went back at it, I would have done whatever I had to. Now, my, uh, great friend of mine, Jerry, I mean, he, we, I worked with him. He's still in banking today. Mm-hmm. So, and has done very, very well in, in his life. So you do it. And, and, I got into radio because I thought it was going to be fun, you know, playing the tunes and everything else and playing the hits. Mm-hmm. And that was work. It was, you know, you don't realize the work. You just, at that age, you go, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
it's work. And then talk radio was, it's the best job in the world. I didn't know it for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just, and so, but everything that I did from laborer to machinist to janitor, uh, all right. I did hate being a wedding DJ. That was the worst job I ever had. Wedding DJ. Yeah. Club DJ. Yeah. Club DJ yeah. was fun. Mm. But but wedding DJ was the worst job ever. Yeah. It was I hated that. <laughs> I've done that for uh two or three times for family members for free. Actually, I paid because I bought a ton of music and I did it all off my laptop. And it worked out great. It still was not the job I would ever no. suggest to anyone because there is because you're trying because there's there's no way to make a day perfect. But the idea is to make that day perfect. And you're pretty much the last in line that has been hired out for that day before the couple goes off on their honeymoon. You can't screw that because you're it. That's it. Once the food has been served and, you know, whoever the caterer is has done their thing, it's on you. You're the last in line. It just paid. I did it because it paid well. And when I did it, I worked for a guy who set everything up. I just showed up. Mm -hmm. I can't remember how much I made, but it was like, wow, really? Mm Mm-hmm. And But he would always leave me, you know, back then you had records. You just couldn't yeah. download on your laptop right, and right. have something there. Right. You actually had records. Mm-hmm. And, and you had to bring them in in crates. You had, you had, you had to bring them in. Milk and, crates and, is what yeah. we used back in the well, day. Well, yeah. and he had, he had everything, all the standard stuff there. Mm-hmm. But then he would allow them, you know, part of the packages, You tell me the, the, list. the 10 songs that you have to have. Yeah, yeah. The so daddy they, daughter dance and all of that exactly and everything yeah, and so yeah, no no it's it's a nightmare <laughs> so think you walk into it you don't he doesn't leave you all the records i can only find five mm-hmm. so five that the family has requested for the wedding mm-hmm. you don't have mm-hmm. and there are some mothers out there that have probably not forgotten my name, that might be traveling down the road and say, oh, that talk show host, Gary McNamara, that's the name of that idiot who didn't have that special song. He ruined my daughter's life. (laughs) For for the daughter-father dance. Yeah. (laughs) He ruined my daughter's life, destroyed the wedding that day. There's a few mothers out there that uh, said that over a period of time. Oh, I was so angry. And and he wouldn't be there. Just The setup would be there. He'd already be gone. Why is the DJ playing Flock of Seagulls and the Daddy Daughter Dance? What is that? <laughs> what? That's weird. I can't be right. But you know when I got out, I got out. I, I know that the time, I don't know the exact year, but I know the time frame by the song. Mm-hmm. When I had to play Def Leppard, pour some sugar on me like 20 times at one wedding because they kept wanting to hear it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I went, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, a buddy of mine had a had a business. That was his, for the longest time, that was his only business. He had gotten out of radio, and that's, and he was a mobile DJ. 
and lugging the equipment, all of it he did himself. He didn't even have help. He unloaded the equipment, all of it. Wow. And all the crates and of of vinyl and everything. And he had pretty much anything. But there's the meeting that you have and series of meetings where you coordinate what the music's going to be. So he would organize that part of it and then take requests. But the thing is, is that you take a request from a guest, but you didn't take it from the bride. So the guest requests a song, some stupid Def Leppard song, over and over, and the bride is crying. <laughs> oh, you're in trouble. You're in big no, trouble. No, she, she, the bride was into it that night. Yeah. She was in. Yeah. I mean, that's over. Let's put it this way: probably they uh, adult beverage supplemented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one but, of the first things my friend would ask: Will you be serving alcohol? And he was only he only wanted to do that to know what to expect. He only wanted to know. So he would know what to expect from the crowd. Uh, I did one wedding, heavy metal wedding. They wanted all heavy metal. Mm. But the songs they gave me for the father was not these songs. And I told them I had to pull them aside, the you know the the uh, the bride and groom, and say, you can't do this. Yeah, we can't and, play Slayer, right. Rain and Blood. So, right. Well, that's, I said, after we play these songs, mm. you know, a half hour in, then everybody is, then we'll... Then we'll rock. Yeah. I mean, it was the most. Well, that grandma was, and grandpa leave. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Then but, you give me the thumbs up, we'll go full but on I, metal. But I guess the point is, I always wanted to, and this is the environment that I grew up in. I mm-hmm. always wanted to be self-sufficient. I always wanted a job. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care what it was. It was get a job first, be self-sufficient, and then go do what you want. But that was just burned into my into my brain and my soul from my parents and the environment that I grew up in because all my buddies did the exact same thing. And so you didn't worry about anything else in the world. You didn't blame anybody else. You didn't say, well, it's your fault. You just went and did it. You didn't even think about it because you just knew you loved that opportunity. It wasn't, I have to get the result. It was, give me the opportunity. I'll eventually get the result. Yeah. Well, that's a much more positive attitude and therefore, if you think that way and you grow up and your environment is about community involvement and patriotism because the patriotism comes from understanding the Constitution of the United States and why it's special. If you're ignorant, you don't know why it's special. But, and when the government will bail you out to no end, yeah, then what do you care? What do you care about being productive and self-sufficient? They'll step in eventually. The, the worst thing I could possibly think for my life would be if I had the mindset that I can't make it because somebody else is to blame. Mm. The sense of hopelessness I would feel would be incredibly depressing. And that's what you have right now in this country. Yeah. Part of what you have right now. Yep. 866-90-RED-EYE. Surviving and thriving as an owner operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. Costs are not the same each month. If 9,600 miles are driven one month and 10,000 miles the next, two different sets of costs apply for each month. For example, if your tractor payment is $1,850 per month and you drive 9,600 miles in the month, your tractor payment is costing you 19.3 cents per mile. 
drive 10,000 miles, though, and that same payment will cost you 18.5 cents per mile. This is one of your major fixed costs while paying off a truck loan. The difference in this example is only a fraction of a cent, which may seem like small change, but it ultimately amounts to $960 more annually on the bottom line. Because though fixed costs do not go down over time, you can reduce your cost per mile with more paid miles. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, now, part of this poll also showed that the majority of Americans say that college is not worth the cost. Mm. So yeah, I mean, okay. that's that's mm. now 56% of, of people uh, say that. And you see, do see, the, I think we read an article a couple weeks ago about uh, more young people going to uh, trade schools. And that's yeah. a good thing. Right. And when there is no money anymore and you have no choice and your parents don't have the money, well, then you got to go out and you have to hustle. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to do. And so, you know, you have those those ebbs and flows in the economy when, you know, people have a, you know, certain, you know, belief in 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 what, you know, certain moral values. And that changes because you need to survive. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so but um, hey, you, but those when, those are the things. And, and I wonder about the, you know, the instinctual things. Look, it's always been part of our instinct to to go out and and to hunt and to gather but people expect their prey to walk up and lay down on their porch if your prey lays down in front of you there's something wrong with it don't eat it <laughs> what a, i have never heard that analogy before but i like it we were at a restaurant and i said that to my oh, wife one I time like it. I, I said that to my wife one time recently at a, at a restaurant she goes well, my mind is sufficiently blown. I think we can go home now. <laughs> but it's, you know, we have that instinct to, yeah. you know, to want to provide for ourselves. And it's just going away. Consider yourself canceled if you don't listen nightly. Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, Good morning. 
you know, just uh, talking about that Wall Street Journal poll, just one more thing, because when I when I read polls like this, my mind just starts working like crazy. I'm just like, wow, OK, let's analyze every portion of it and how people actually think today. And you and I have talked about before why we are, you know, why we're such huge fans of capitalism, mm-hmm. because you had the opportunity to go out and work hard and create your own wealth is the sense of freedom that we believe. Most people believe that work is a, I won't say most, but uh, there there are maybe more than before view work as a prison just to survive. You know, I yeah. have to do it. I don't right. want to do it, but I have to do it. Uh, I know you and I have always looked at the bigger picture, and so we may not have the job that we want, but the first thing we wanted was the money because the money gave us the opportunity to be self-sufficient, and that's the first part of being free. And then the next thing is saving that money so you have that wealth so nobody can tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. Freedom was always the key to me. I never looked at it and said, I wish to be happy, so give me stuff and I can sit and do nothing and I will be happy Mm. from the environment that I was raised in. I would... I always, anytime I was unemployed, I felt extremely uncomfortable. It was like, you know, uh, not even a sense of panic that I didn't, that I might not have money. It was a sense of panic that I may break that chain of being productive and somebody might not hire me again because I've been laid off too long. That was always the first. But the the goal, the, the purpose was, Work to become self-sufficient. So initially, my parents didn't have control of me anymore. I mean, that's the natural progression. I didn't want to be asking my parents for money. Why? Because there's conditions. And those conditions mean I'm not free. If I earn it, it's my money. I can make my own choices. And I think that there's a progression as you go through life, you know, and and that uh, what I realized is... For it, uh, and it was a positive. Is <laughs> they're always a part of your life. You're never free of them. <laughs> but that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good yeah. thing. As you get older, you realize it's a good thing. But initially, the teenager wishes to live their own life, and that's why, like you and I, you did the lawns. You did the. You don't want to rely on the allowance. I don't have to take an all. I remember when I didn't. I don't need to take an allowance from my parents anymore. And the surprising thing was that I thought that if I didn't take an allowance because they just didn't give me money, you had to complete chores. I was under the foolish notion with my parents that if I stopped doing or if I stopped taking the allowance, I didn't have to do the chore anymore. Mm-hmm. I found out at that point, well, no, it has nothing to do with you getting money. This is your family responsibility to give back. <laughs> yeah, my parents didn't give an allowance. I, I was the youngest boy and the second to the youngest child and there was no way they were going to be able to afford it uh on dad's military income and so but i still had to do the chores it was you know these are the things you have to do well it wasn't yeah i'm my father had five kids and he was only working so i'm sure it wasn't large i can't remember Mm -hmm. what it was but five bucks a week I, I, I don't i don't even remember it probably maybe a buck a week back then yeah yeah (laughs) remember Remember when I was born? Mm-hmm. Yeah, five you, bucks a week, you would have been a millionaire by now. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That, uh, but but that was the first thing you was was uh, you know 
to be self-sufficient, which in itself is a sense of freedom. Mm-hmm. So you really didn't care the job that you worked as long as it didn't kill you. You didn't right. care. You just right. wanted at the end of the day. And then you felt there was a sense of accomplishment, and that was the first step. Mm-hmm. And at that point also, you know, in in high school doing the odd jobs and then going to college and working two jobs, then when I got hired at the bank, you felt, okay, you're moving up. There's a sense of being a professional that I had. Mm-hmm. I got to wear, you know, shirt and tie, whatever. But people look at that, well, you're just, you know, working for the, you know, the, the old working for the man well, no, I'm I'm giving them a service. I'm I'm doing work for them, and they're paying me for it. And they really let you know everybody's really left me alone. And I found out most in life until I got into radio, uh, people left you alone. <laughs> I had to say that, mm-hmm. but then you get to the point of once you gain experience, you can end up doing things you think you like. Finding out, oh wow. I really don't like it as much as I thought I would. I ended up doing this that I never thought I would like doing. And every day I wake up being excited to do it. You have a purpose. There's a purpose every day. No longer is it that I come in to work because I have to have the paycheck to survive this week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it it does become ingrained. Being pro- maybe not the job itself isn't you, but the productive part of always accomplishing something at the job moving forward is always a part of you. And I think most people, when they get to my age, probably view it that way, unless they are in a terrible job with management. That happens to all of us. I've been blessed that that happened. That hasn't happened <laughs> in the last decade or so. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you can also be in that position. But, you know, that's, that's if you're, you know, especially now if you're, Think about this now, how it's changed. A lot of people probably aren't screaming ageism anymore, are they? No. Because now there's now there's a market for older people that are productive. Well, with but, so many boomers retiring this year, it's actually happening. There is a there's a a pretty huge turnover in the age demographics of the workforce. And it's not a positive. But if you're, uh, if you're older, if you're in your late 50s or in your 60s and you still want to work, it is a positive for you because you're in high demand. And companies are willing to pay for it. The breakdown on that was mind-boggling. I saw it a few months ago. And it stuck with me because it goes back to what we talk about. It's always the case that older people have more experience. That's just going to be the case. It's a numbers game. But what else plays into it is a culture. where, And now there's this huge cultural divide between generations that have the instinct, believe in that instinct, and feel that in the pit of their stomach knowing, look, uh, if it's not working, I got to go work harder. If, it, if I'm not getting it done, it's on me. And other generations that look at it and say, there will be somebody there to, to, to bail me out, whether it's my parents, the government, or all the above. And that's exactly what you saw. That was in hyper mode during COVID. It's no wonder. 
when they, you know, because the problem was, and we said from the beginning, it's never going to be en- enough, never going to be enough. It's funny, one of the uh, stand-up comedians, Mo Amir, uh, talks about this. He says, you know, they send out this check and we're all nervous going, oh, no, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And they sent us a check and it's like, okay, well, you know, that's going to cover a little bit of it. And then they sent a, another check and look, it's never going to be enough. The government can't sustain everybody. It's impossible. But it did have an effect in that people realized, well, I'm still here. We got through it. I'm still alive and I'm not having to work real hard. And I understand not wanting to go back uh, to the service industry and be like a server in a restaurant. I can't imagine that's that's one of those jobs that just it would just seem like you never ever catch up on things because restaurants mm-hmm. are so over the top busy and you don't want to be on your feet all day uh the pay isn't great and you have to work really long hours in order to and quite often multiple jobs in order to make ends meet some people like it but a lot of people looked at that and said nah, i don't want to go back to that i get that but the question is Did any of those individuals or how many in society, in the workforce, looked at it and said, you know, I really shouldn't work that hard. I shouldn't have to work that hard. I was working hard before, but the government came in and and everything's going to be fine. And I'm just going to choose not to work that hard. Well, in the age of inflation, because we spent so much money. There really is no choice. You no, can't. I, I don't know how anybody survives uh, in in that age group where you're not at your peak uh, earnings level. You know, so you might be in your twenties or thirties, and you're trying to make rent that's skyrocketing and going up every month. I don't know how you. I don't know how you do it. The only solution that I know of, and this is the way my mind has always worked and that's you go out and get another job and you you work multiple jobs um i did that well into my 30s yeah i'm technically still doing it so those are the things you have to do to make ends meet to make it work you know for several years i worked seven days a week but i didn't look at it as Oh, I don't even get a day off. I looked at it as, man, I'm making some extra money on the weekend. That's going to that's gonna really, really help. That's going to help make ends meet. I did the, you know, in, in my 30s, I mean, I probably was working in two two different jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, radio and club DJing probably, I don't know, 180 to 100 hours a week. Yeah. And yeah. I never, th- just like you, I never thought about it. In fact, I actually felt lucky. No, I always saw it as the opportunity. I, I remember the, yeah, the day I felt lucky. that I got that weekend job, and it's for it was for the this company. And before I came to this part of this company, and a guy, you know, walking in, I was walking in at work at this other job that I was at. Hey, you want a weekend job? I got a guy on the phone that needs somebody to work weekends for him. I said, Yeah, immediately. I was absolutely. But the mindset changes when you, when you uh, uh, 
create that pathology of dependency more and more. Something we've talked about. And that is, if the government's going to be there at the end of it all, or somebody's going to be there, then I really don't want to work that hard. You know, you and I always talk about it. It, was, I, it wasn't originally a Hallmark movie, but James Garner was in it. Was it The Ultimate Gift? Yeah. I and, saw that and, come up in my queue the other yeah, day and, and the, on um, one of the streaming. And it was, it was really funny because the kid has to go out, you know, he, I'm, but he has to go out and work very hard. And Brian Dennehy is, you know, is the, is the, uh, the, the, basically the foreman, whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, James Garner is dead, but he leaves his, his, in order for him to get, you know, the majority of his will, he has to abide by all these things. And so then he goes back and looks at his dead grandfather, who was James Garner. And he said, well, now you've got the gift of work. Yeah. And I've always viewed work as a gift, as an opportunity. Yeah. And I right. and it's not this and people think I'll tell you right now, there's some young people listening to me right now going, You're crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's how different the culture is. Well, because I always looked at it, it wasn't just the money part of it. I no. mean that was that was early on that was a big deal if I could get that second job and you know, oh man, now I don't have to, you know, worry so much. But it was about the experience. What is this going to, how is this going to make me more viable? And the answer was always yes, because I'm going to learn something. Um, if I do it right, if I, if I follow directives properly, then I'm going to learn something. And when you learn something, that means you've got something more to offer. Exactly. That's how I, I never viewed it. Even if it didn't matter if the pay was what I wanted, it didn't none of that mattered. All was it can it get me to the next step? Which is why you and I, the whole quiet quitting thing, is a completely foreign concept. Yeah, right. Like, why? I'm wasting my time if I quiet quit. Right. That's how I view it. I know how you view it. I would be, and so it, many of our listeners ma- it would probably make view me the nervous. same way. It, it would make yeah. me nervous. Yeah, I, because I would always be feeling like someone's going to tap me on my shoulder, saying, "Okay." Get back to work. Yeah, I know what you're doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> no quiet quitting here. Right, right. <laughs> We're going to loudly fire you. Exactly. <laughs> 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Uh, sorry, see, I was not proficient in my job. I didn't turn the microphone on. Uh, coming up following the top of the hour, the White House says Joe Biden will veto the GOP's energy package that is not going to reach his desk. Does he understand how it works? <laughs> Does he even know? Uh, the uh, Matt Taibbi, who uh, is part of the, the Twitter files, he, in fact, was the first reporter that was out there that actually looked at the Twitter files and 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 uh, brought it to the world's attention what was going on at at uh, Twitter. Well, the day that he testified before Congress earlier this month, on that day, an unannounced visit of an IRS agent to his house happened. You want to hear the details of this? This is Red Eye Radio 
on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our app today. If you can't listen live overnight, you can listen when and where you want. You know, last week we were talking about the tech sector banks uh, and and a lot of tech itself selling imagery and BS as their product. Listen to this now, Wall Street Journal, because you and I were talking about all right, what's this? What's this sweetheart deal that SVB got? You know, what what happened here? They go into talking about how SVB, what their business model was. Listen to this. The FDIC law share agreement is a tactic recognition of SVB's large book of loans to unprofitable startups carrying substantial credit risk. SVB's business model involved extending low-cost credit to tech startups, many with no revenue and hoping to get repaid when they were acquired by larger companies that raised more private funds or floated shares publicly. Yeah. This is the tech bubble of the 90s, basically, in banking. The promise that these companies would, these startups would one day be sold for big money, and that would pay off what they borrowed problem is rising interest rates have caused venture funding in the market for initial public offerings to dry up market valuations for startups have slumped bigger companies aren't in the market to buy startups with large amounts of debt relative to revenue that means big loan losses could be coming debt to income ratio it's always a, it's it's a basic and a standard for lending the FDIC might have been able to shut down and sell SVB at a smaller loss had it accepted offers that we were told were floated over the first weekend after its collapse. Mm. But Chairman Martin Grunberg rejected them out of hostility to consolidations as per the warnings from Senator Elizabeth Warren and her protege on the FDIC board, Rohit Chopra. Now we end up with consolidation anyway at a greater cost to the deposit insurance fund. Uh, after the deal closes, First Citizens will have $219 billion in assets, double what it had at the end of last year. This would make it among the 25 largest banks in the United States and put it on the cusp of being classified as too big to fail. The losers in this sweetheart deal will be other banks and their customers that will have to pick up the estimated $20 billion cost to replenish the deposit insurance fund. That's about 15% of the entire fund. By comparison, the 214 bank failures between 2011 and 2022 cost $12.4 billion. All 
of the 214 bank failures in that time. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> well, it was clear that something was very wrong with the fundamentals of this bank from the get-go. As a layman, I could look at it, and, and I was scratching my head asking, where are the people that are supposed to be in charge here? Where are the people on the staff? Where are the people... At the San Francisco Fed. That are supposed to be looking out for such. Risky behaviors. I don't know. How in the world something like this happens. But of course. It also by the way proves my theory. That people believed we were going to be at zero interest forever. So we'll just create these low interest loans companies that aren't even proving that they have any kind of revenue well we'll cross our fingers that somebody comes in and buys them look at this here i mean hedge hedge funds might have been interested in buying svb's loans but the fdic ruled them out for political reasons yes progressives dislike hedge funds and silicon valley venture investors worried they would be less forgiving of startups that couldn't repay their debt SVB often accommodated struggling startups at the request of their venture capitalist uh, financiers. The FDIC said the deal will minimize. Listen to this now. This is the part that infuriates you. FDIC says the deal will minimize disruptions for SVB borrowers. First Citizens stressed it is committed to building on and preserving the strong relationships with venture and private equity firms. CEO Frank Holding Jr. said that together with the legacy SVB team, we are well positioned to understand the unique financial needs of the tech sector. Wall Street Journal replied, they sure are, thanks to FDIC FDIC assistance. But all this suggests that the FDIC hardly minimized its own risks and costs. In addition to the lost share agreement, the FDIC will finance the deal with a five-year, $35 billion loan plus a $70 billion line of credit to cover potential deposit flights. This is a government match made in heaven, and who pays for it? You do. Yep. By the way, this whole thing that it wasn't going to cost the taxpayer dollars was an outright lie. Yeah, of course it was always going to. And look, Janet Yellen scrambling saying one thing one day another thing the other day and then the third day saying something very different tells you they can't even get the political spin right no it's a great point she was all over the place they can't get a grasp on this because everybody can see it you can see it falling out everybody now sees what's going on you know we we go back to the GM bailout. There were buyers at the door. Mm-hmm. There were buyers, and it could have been, you know, who knows? Penske could have taken, I don't know, the truck division or SUVs and trucks or whatever. 
and other buyers could have it maybe it wasn't going to be the gm we know today or knew before but there were buyers at the door no the government steps in too big to fail then you have this situation where people like elizabeth warren don't want the hedge funds to come in and be owners here because they're not going to be fair to those who took a risk. We'll put it on, eventually it will be on the taxpayer. It will be on people uh, who, everyday people, who never did business with that bank. Either through higher fees, higher taxes, or both. There's no way it's not going to pan out. And as soon as Elizabeth Warren threw down the gauntlet, you knew that was going to be the case. And here we are. So much for Democrats caring about the small guy. Let's bail out the elite rich for totally irresponsible. And I wonder at in some points here, why not criminal business behavior i would love to look at the applications and 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 look at the potential for loan fraud it very well could be the case that they extended that credit knowing full well and this is tragic as well that there was no revenue not enough revenue to to come in and cover that we'll just wait to see if somebody swoops in and buys this new startup this is that's a that is a loser mentality all day long but not when you've got enough democrats to ensure that you'll get bailed out if you fail and a ton of these venture startups are green companies yep that are never going to make a dollar so it's okay we'll allow that and we'll back that we'll have the taxpayer back that yeah type of irresponsible loaning right and that's why you have these other re- – and then they come in and go, and then we're going to make sure we regulate these regional banks as if it's a regional bank problem when it's not a re- – as the regional banks, many regional banks, the responsible ones are saying, this isn't because we're regional banks. That's because <laughs> they're irresponsible. They're well, careless. Well, well think, think about this. When you can't get the political support you need for all of the funding for your green projects, what do you do? Well, you support a bank like this and with zero interest rates, let them set up a situation and then swoop in if they fail at it. Yep. If the hedge funds had been able to come in that first weekend and and basically picked it clean, Eventually, we would find out who those losers were. But if the FDIC is going to take them on, we may never find that out. Well, this right, this. Am I reading this wrong, or doesn't this say 
well, as first citizens, we're going to go back to the same type of lending. The FDIC said the deal will minimize disruptions for SVB borrowers. First citizens stressed it is committed to building on and preserving the strong relationship with venture and private equity firms. CEO Frank Holding Jr. added that together with the legacy SVB team, we are well positioned to understand the unique financial needs of the tech sector. That sounds like you're not going to change a thing. And why would you? FDIC has your back. Now, Now we're too big to fail. Janet Yellen is there for you all day. And see, again, if the private sector had come in and bought everything up, if that would have been allowed, then we'd find out where those real failures were. As long as the FDIC is involved, we're not going to see where those vulnerable companies were and what the practices were the way we should. There's not going to be the same transparency. No, Nobody takes a haircut on it. Nobody is punished for their irresponsible financial transactions of putting way more than what is insured into a bank. Then everything looks profitable. It's right. all good. Right. Right? Blue skies. It's just like 2008, 2009. We'll shove money in all the banks so that the three that are really on the brink of insolvency don't look weak and no one runs on them. Right. Well, then... After that, what do you think happens? Now we don't know which ones are good and which ones. And then everybody was paralyzed because the, 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 the waters were muddied for years and years, which is why we didn't see the growth we should have. You and I have said for a long time, the fall would have been much harder after 2008, 2009, but it would have been organic. We maybe would have gotten to... 12% unemployment, maybe even higher for a period. But we would know who is real and who isn't. You shove government money into the tills, and then everybody's questioning who's solvent and who's not because everybody has money. In this situation, the FDIC is still controlling so much of these assets. How do we know what's what? How do we know, how do we learn from this situation? Because it's not just about this bank. You don't have to be a depositor, a borrower with this particular bank. My question is, to what extent is it going on in other banks? 866-90-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. Yeah, I agree with it. You and I have talked about that a little bit last week that, okay, if you can't get all your funding for, for green energy, simply control the banks, simply back all the bad banks that wish to uh, get involved. Right. Think about the business model. I mean, just think about that. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to fund – we're going to fund uh, tech startups, very small tech startups that have no revenue in the hopes, not that they'll make a profit, right? but in the hopes that some bigger venture capitalist will look at that company and say they may have potential. When yeah. they buy them, then you get paid off. Right. My God. 
I mean, that's just, that may be that may be worse than that may be worse than the mortgage debacle of two thousand eight. That philosophy, but the, the similarities are real. Think about that. That this this idea of all right, well, this is part of our agenda is is this, and we it sounds very noble, you know, or it sounds at least relevant in this case. Startups, oh no, these tech startups, they're they're the next big thing. Look how many of them are funded through this bank. Blah 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 blah. Theranos, but when it's the agenda, you look at it and say, oh well, wait a minute, if we've got banks that are willing to go along and play this game, our agenda can be done. And when they fail at it, we can come in and bail them out. And that's what you see here. Because we're not going to see the books on the things the FDIC, the assets the FDIC is still, still has. I would hope Republicans would want to get to the bottom of this and that we could see some transparency in this and we could learn more. I suspect that's not going to happen. I fear that won't happen. I, I hope I'm wrong about that. Because we need to learn about the practices and we need to know if other banks are practicing in the same way and feel like the FDC, FEIC is going to be there, you know, for them and, and bail them out and that they can they can do the same type of, of investment. Like the origins of COVID that the Democrats don't want to get to the bottom. Right. Why? Exactly. Will the Democrats want to get to the bottom of why SVB Bank failed? Right. Will they actually wish to address the facts of the bad business practices of SVB Bank and say, this is what has to stop? Because if the buyers had come in that first weekend and bought them, then we would naturally learn which ones were, were failing, which ones, which of those companies weren't weren't great, didn't have great practices and, and everything else, eventually we would likely learn that. Well, what's the greater way to control that is to work through the FDIC to hold on to those assets. So there is no transparency. And don't worry, don't worry, folks. The FDIC has got it from here. I think the American people need to know exactly what was going on here and why big government is so anxious to come in and bail them out why are we why do they wish to bail out the rich right and by the way while we're at it pay off their college loans they may have yeah why why is that and 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 then and then according to the 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 new bank president he doesn't say we're not going to do with the old one. It's all well, we need the legacy of SVB. We need to continue the legacy staff. We're going to bring people on from the legacy that staff were, that were working there before. The, the message was not we're not going to do what they did. We're going to be responsible. It's like we're going to bring them in, and it's a unique type of funding. Well, stop the damn unique type of funding, right? But as long and, as the and, FDIC and, and is there for you. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, they're that. saying, well, the taxpayer, we'll, we'll put it on the taxpayer. And we'll say the taxpayer isn't paying for it because it'll be an extra fee, so it's a hidden tax right. on the taxpayer. Exactly. Exactly. And if it's a hidden tax, then it's not a tax. Right. It's just those darn bank fees. Yeah, we're paying for it one way or the other.
On your smart speaker, say, play Red Eye Radio. And if you're really nice, she might. Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. You know, that's the other thing you brought up right when we just ended uh, the last segment, is that the Democrats are all over that bank fees are too high. Just recently, again, mm-hmm. it was, uh, the president was out there, bank fees are too high, bank fees are too high, bank fees are too high. Yet, when you look at SVB, and you take all the bank failures over the last 10 years only amounted to 12.5 billion. This is already 20 billion that's going to be passed on through higher bank fees. Yeah. The Democrats are the ones that are supporting this kind of bailout. Elizabeth Warren was completely behind ensuring that the taxpayers pay more than they had to pay. So they talk out of both sides of their mouth. Bank fees need to come down. Bank fees need to come down. All right, screw over the taxpayer. Take care. By the way, I have no I have no problem with the rich elite. I just don't want to bail them out. I don't want to bail out any. I'm using that term because that's what they use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against if you've got money. I could care less. You invest it, fine. But you take risk. Well, you deal with that risk. I shouldn't have to bail you out. I don't care whether you're a college student. Or whether you're a, 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 a you know a a venture capitalist, I shouldn't be bailing you out. You shouldn't be bailing them out, right? People should be responsible for their own financial decisions, and if repercussions come with it, that's the only way you learn to do it better next time. When you take risk out of the game, then the game is going to become a lot more costly. You enable carelessness. And they can take all the risk they want because they're always going to get bailed out. They know it. And you can't take risk out of banking. You can't. And now, again, I just have to wonder to what extent these kind of practices are in play at other banks. I would hope that it is unique to only a handful of banks. Well, you see the handful of banks so far are all under the, as the Wall Street Journal pointed out yesterday, all under the authority of the San Francisco Fed. Right. Shocked. And where are the priorities? Climate change, DEI. Yeah. ESG. Mm -hmm. That's not the stuff that you're supposed to not have. In Chinese food. Right. ESG, not MSG. Yes. Yes. And those are the things that you have to look at and say, okay, but is anybody going to change it? Well, the answer is no. Even Citizens uh, Bank, uh, First Citizens, came in and said, nope. We look forward to doing the same. We're gonna we're gonna work with the same people. I don't know how you keep the same practices in place. I hope I'm reading that wrong. I hope I'm reading that wrong. That's not the statement I would have made. No. We've always worked to maintain the very fundamental foundation, you know, of we- of 
a strong bank so that our depositors and investors alike have that kind of security without having to worry about a failure. You know, we were talking about the poll on values, the, mm. where money mm-hmm. and everything, mm. debt, the value on debt mm. when you have your own debt. Yeah. And we've talked about this before. Now, I was blessed that early on I worked in my life, worked as a bill collector. Mm. And I saw the trouble that people got into, mm-hmm. and I, I remembered it. And uh, to me, uh, one of in, in what I'll call my personal professional life, when you deal with money in a personal professional way, uh, debt has always been the one thing that I fear the most. Yeah. There's a fear of debt. There's a, I have a healthy fear of paying interest. Yeah. Healthy. I don't want to pay interest. Because I know where that gets you if you mm-hmm. build up oh, yeah. a big credit card balance. Mm-hmm. I told you the only, the only time I was very young and I had to get my car repaired and I had put $1,500 to get the car repaired. This goes back, I don't know, it must go back 35 years ago, 40 years ago maybe. And absolutely panicked because I had to pay the interest. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they would let you jump to another credit card. Mm-hmm. You get you, They'd send you the checks. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't have a fee on it. Mm. They back in the late eighties, they were doing that. Where they, like now, they there's a fee every time if you want to do that. Mm. There was no fee. You could just switch, and they would take it in there. And I would go to you know they would say a special on this if you put this in you know. And these would be current credit cards that I would have, and it would be I don't know what interest I was paying, but you could lower it to six or whatever if it mm. was nineteen twenty percent. Right. Right. And and so I remember bouncing around doing it for just fifteen hundred bucks, mm. <laughs> which is really nothing. But yeah. absolutely panic. I go into panic mode with debt, and I think you're supposed to go into panic mode with debt because the possibility of even considering the B word bankruptcy, mm-hmm. and I, I was never close to that. Mm-hmm. But you just paid your just the possibility of being late. You, know, you and I talked about it, and we were both pretty <laughs> pretty posterior poor <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in in parts of our life. And we both had, and I you know, I didn't know you until I started working with you, but probably one of the reasons that we get along is we have so much of the same moral standard, even on debt. And as you said, you've never been laid on a bill. I've never been laid on a bill ever. Panic, yeah. absolutely panic if... I think I forgot about a bill. Still today, I panic, and it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. No big yeah. deal. I mean, you can be you can be thirty days late. It doesn't affect your credit your credit rating on, mm-hmm. on the vast majority of bills. It doesn't matter if I forget. Oh my gosh, am I late? It's a, it's a concern. I mean, it's and you and I. I never forget you asking. We asked John Taffer from Bar Rescue. These people that oh, how much are you in debt for the bar? Nine hundred thousand. I'm like you don't need Don you don't you don't need John uh, Taffer you need a bankruptcy lawyer you can't and and you and you want to continue the pirate bar yeah R matey <laughs> and they just saw it as numbers on paper yeah they didn't really put that value into it they didn't just but, kind of written it off and this is the way we're going to do it and 
we don't feel an obligation to pay it back. But there, that's part. I mean, you see the whole college debt thing. Somebody else pay for it. 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 Mm-hmm. That's foreign to us. Yeah. How come you're getting upset? Yeah. The government's just forgiving it. No, they're not. This isn't. No. A, this is a, a, not a Seinfeld episode. No. They just write it off. Mm-hmm. No, somebody has to pay it. Yeah. It's your debt. Pay it. It's hard. It's supposed to be hard. Yeah. Debt yeah. isn't supposed to be easy. Life isn't supposed to be easy. You want it to be easy by making other people's lives that were not responsible for what your what your behavior was. You want your life easy by making other people's lives harder mm-hmm. for something that you took out and you signed the contract. I mean, the reason, I mean, I can hear the passion of my voice. It's just because, because I was brought up that way that you pay your damn debts. And you do whatever you have to do to do it. That, But that's part of the, to make my point, that's part of the values that we grew up with. And they still remain today. Which you look at the, the value survey that was done yesterday, from patriotism to money to everything else. And it's almost, you know, you look at the vast majority, it's com- that we're, it's heading as the complete opposite of how we were raised. We weren't raised wrong. No, it's, um, but it's a this new mentality, this new culture that, that essentially is with, with some people, I shouldn't have to work that hard. That's a growing mentality. It shouldn't be that way. Because we've created the envy and jealousy. Well, this one person has all that wealth. That's not fair. I'm struggling. Why should I try harder? Why should I have to work? It looks like that person's never working. They have $100 billion. That's not fair. And those thoughts never entered our mind. If I, I saw care. somebody yeah. back then, no one had $100 billion, but <laughs> if I saw, saw somebody who was even a billionaire, my thought was, okay, what's their game plan? What are, the, what are their practices every day? What is it that drives them? Where did they begin? What's their mentality? And, and how do they manage their money? I want to know. Not that I wanted to copy what they're doing. I wanted to take on better habits, create better habits. Mm -hmm. And people don't even have that in in their mindset anymore. There are some uh, very creative people who are uh, entrepreneurs, no doubt, that are out there today that are actually earning money. They're not sitting around. They didn't create a startup waiting for somebody to come buy them out. No, and I know great young people that this isn't all young people. Mm-hmm. You know, There is a generational thing, though, that's happening of how we've educated our kids over the last 20 years. But I know young people that are just tremendous and have tremendous worth ethics. But again, this is Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you see that, you know, the, there's, there's plenty of um, uh, very creative individuals that uh, I think in terms of, of what we're going to consume, 
what we're, you know, what where that and, and where the next big expansion of wealth is going to be. It's likely going to be innovation. You know, it's it's been raw materials for the longest time. The the next big thing is going to be innovation, as it has been probably for the last twenty to thirty years. But, and that comes from very creative and smart minds. But we cannot, absolutely cannot, have a banking system no. that does not practice the the fundamentals of banking. Debt to income ratio. How is that not scrutinized to the fullest? I don't get that at all because if there is no income, how can you have any debt? I don't know. That just boggles the mind. I know. I know. And they seem to be okay with it. Yep. 86690 Red Eye. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara coming up following the top of the hour. Latest poll on uh, D.A. Bragg's grand jury. Mm. Ah, okay. All right. We will get to uh, that. An IRS story that you'll want to hear. Matt uh, Taibbi, who uh, broke the the Twitter files, was actually the first, uh, I think, uh, had Twitter files won. The day that he testified with uh, Mike Schellenberger. Yeah. Uh, before Congress that day uh, when he went to testify, an IRS agent unannounced showed up at his home. We'll get to that story coming up. Uh, Jim Jordan is on this already. I'm the, sure it's a coincidence. The imagery of it, because, uh, yeah, seriously, because if you've ever dealt with the I've, I've only dealt with the IRS twice where there was some kind of mistake and both both times are letters. Right. In fact, they tell you, you're never going to get a phone call. You're going to get a letter. Right. Very yeah. rarely will you get a phone call mm-hmm. unless they can't get you in any other way. Right. Yeah. But you get you get a letter. But an IRS agent unannounced? Yeah. Showing up at your door? Hmm. When has that been practiced? Because you get that all. Even the IRS says, we don't call you. Right. We send you mail. They don't say, oh, we'll come unannounced to your door. Right. I would still think that would be fraudulent. I would be hesitant to talk to that person if they showed up at my door. That's a great point. Yep. If I received a letter that said we'll be visiting or something, I guess, but they show up unannounced, that's bizarre. I'd like to know how often that is done. And, and even if it was legit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're telling me no one knew? By the way, this guy's testifying before Congress today on the weaponization of government. Yeah. And the IRS is going unannounced to his door. Yeah. No. Do it next week. Right. <laughs> Wait a minute.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you choose if you can't listen live overnight. All right. Looking at a number of different uh, news articles here, all on the fact that Representative Jim Jordan has sent a letter to the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, and the Internal Revenue Commissioner, Daniel Werfel, demanding an explanation as to why the federal agency deployed federal agents to visit Twitter Files journalist Matt Taibbi. Uh, the That one says agents from National Review. New York Post says agent. I don't know how he would know mm. because he wasn't there unless he had a camera and saw them come to the door. I'm guessing he has a camera. Right. Um, Jordan sent a letter to the IRS commissioner and the Department of Treasury in hopes to getting to the bottom of why the federal agent appeared at Taibbi's New Jersey home on March 9th and left a note, according to an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, that cited the letter. The note reportedly instructed Taibbi to call the IRS four days later. Now, understand that when the IRS agent came to his door, this is when he was testifying <laughs> on, the, on the weaponization of government hearing. I, I'm sorry, I just, that's just, <laughs> the uh, note reportedly instructed Taibbi to call the IRS four days later. When he did, an agent told him his 2018 and 20. One tax returns had both been rejected due to identity theft concerns. Taibbi had been deeply involved in the researching and reporting the Twitter files based off a trove of internal documents at Twitter meant to expose the bias in the company's past content moderation and the social media giant's previous contact with government officials. The journalist told Jordan's committee about the IRS uh, agent's visit that occurred the same day. He spoke to House members before the select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government to testify on what he learned from the Twitter files. Taibbi gave the committee documents that indicated his 2018 return had been electronically accepted and that the IRS never told him or his accountants, that there was an issue with it over the last four and a half years, according to the journal. His 2021 return was at first rejected, then rejected again after he refiled, despite his accountants refiling with the IRS-provided PIN number, he said. Taibbi said, in neither case is it a money issue, Hmm. and that the IRS actually owed him a considerable sum of money. 
Taibbi made it clear in the tweet Monday that he has no interest in commenting on the letter. Quote, for those asking, I don't want to comment on the IRS issue pending an answer to Chairman Jim Jordan's letter, Taibbi wrote. I'm not worried for myself, but I did feel the committee should be aware of the situation. Revelations about the IRS visit come after Taibbi and the Democrats on the subcommittee butted heads during his hours-long testimony, along with journalist Michael Schellenberger. Taibbi, a former Rolling Stone reporter, responded to a jab from Virgin Islands Representative Stacey Plaskett at one point listing uh, his career accomplishments and saying, I am not a so-called journalist, which is what she called him. And then, you know, they were trying to say, you know, the, the, the Democrats, it was unbelievable, calling them basically tools of Elon Musk. Understand that both those reporters, this is the key to our liberal reporters and have always been liberal and voted Democrat. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, during Tybee's visit, State, uh, Representative Stacey Plaskett denounced him as a threat mr chairman i'm not exaggerating when i say you have called before you two witnesses who pose a direct threat to people who oppose them when jordan laughed at this comment plaskett replied it's funny when people have to go through that this is unacceptable she described taibi as a so-called journalist and repeatedly insisted that there was no real evidence published in the twitter files showing a coordination between the federal government and the social media platform. He disagreed, by the way. Hmm. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, wow, man, she disappeared, didn't she? Uh, Engaged in similar line of hostile questioning. Quote, being a Republican witness today certainly casts a cloud over your objectivity. But they never went point by point with him. It's important to note. They never went point by point with him on right, these right. specific yeah. allegations. Again, right. these are and then the we know also that uh, the uh, the FTC contacted Twitter, hmm. stating that they want to know any reporter that he has been in contact with, and he said, "To hell with you! You don't get to ask that question. Right? You don't get to federal government doesn't come to ask me what reporters have." You know, come to me. It's really amazing when you think about it. And the funny thing is, they scream there's no weaponization of government. And then the FTC does that. And then the IRS agent shows up at his door on something that, as they, as you know, we know is policy, you get a letter mailed to you. You don't get unannounced visits of the IRS to your, your, uh, your, your, uh, place of, uh, residence unless they're repoing it. Well, that's it. Are, are they there to take action? Was Were they there to, to do an audit? No, just to apparently just to tell him that his 2018 and 21 tax returns were not electronically accepted. And, you know, I'm guessing they get a pretty good rate on, you know, the 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 mail, you know, sending a letter versus yeah. sending an agent. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. And, and even if it is an audit. You go to the IRS office. They don't come to you. They pointed that out. They also give you notification because you are uh, you have the right to be represented there. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, they so. just don't. They just don't show up at your door unannounced. No, that's a level of enforcement. Yeah. Wow. I mean, 
This is just me. My God. You know what I wonder? Was the agent that came to his door running late? Did they mean to be there before he left for testimony that day? So he didn't show? (laughs) Well, Eric, that's just weird. Weirder than an IRS agent showing up at his door on the day that he's going to testify about federal agencies being weaponized? I don't think so. Not weird at all. Wow. What is the point of having an agent at your door? door? Right. You send a letter. Why would you not? Because what they're claiming in the call is that, you know, we, you know, he, he didn't say, look, we've, we've sent you three or four letters. So we showed up at your door because we're concerned about identity theft. Right. We haven't heard that. No. And Taibi probably would have asked that question. Yeah. Well, why did you come to my door? Right. Well, we sent you three or four letters. And you didn't respond. Then it might make sense because we're trying to warn you about identity theft. Right. Of of your taxes. It wasn't a money issue. Right. But as Taibi said, I'm just not going to comment on anything of it. I gave everything to Jim Jordan. Mm-hmm. Let them get the answer. I'm I'm staying out of it. But my 2018, I now he wasn't fully, his he said his 2021 was rejected. Then they got a pin code to put it in. It was still rejected. He didn't say whether it went through a third time. I'm assuming it did because you have mm. to file. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. Yeah. Totally weird. The thing is, Democrats think they can win this. They thought they could win it that day. And remember the polling that happened even before the Twitter files came out. Mm-hmm. The majority of Americans thought that Twitter was bi- you know, the Twitter was biased and censored information. Yeah. That was before the public already knew it. And so this is one of those clear times when the public knows it. Mm-hmm. Politicians know it. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. But the Democrats pretend it's not happening. Right. And then try to demonize and with the FTC attempt to weaponize the government against Democrat Biden supporters. Who wish to be journalists and not political activists. Wow. I mean, just amazing. Now, the FTC, the reason I, you know, again, uh, Taibbi isn't alleging anything. He's just saying this is strange. He didn't come out because he's not talking about it. Right. You have Republicans going, wait a minute. Yeah, I wouldn't either. You know, what, you know what, what What kind of coincidence? It's just a coincidence on the day. Think about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Out of the 330 million people in the United States, mm-hmm. on the day that he's testifying mm-hmm. before the subcommittee on the weaponization of government. And by the way, there's no reason to believe he's even being mm-hmm. audited. No, no. No, not about an audit at all from what he says. And just he, to came, come by and tell you, oh, the, right. the, and, the, your two tax returns weren't accepted. And and we have a nose for it, and we, and we both do, and we haven't caught Taibbi in a lie yet. Well, because Or Schellenberger either. I, I don't know, you know, if he does his taxes or somebody else does it, 
But typically, it's done through either the service that you use if you do your right. own right. or the service that you hire out to do your taxes. The notification comes back that way. Your tax returns were rejected. You get your notification either through email. Yeah, exactly right. Or yeah. through that service that you right. used or tax preparation company that right. you hired that, to do your no, taxes. No, that's a great point. They don't show up at your door. Rejected, dude. Doesn't work that way. This is weird. It's completely weird. I'm just shaking my head because even for some bizarro reason, if it was legit, you're not going to be able to sell that because the co- nobody buys it's a coincidence. And there seems to be no self-awareness with the FTC going after Elon Musk saying, tell us who the journalists are. Yeah. I mean, they're making the point for Republicans of the weaponization of government and now by going after liberal journalists who are not Trump supporters, but Biden and Democratic Party supporters. You can't make this stuff up, man. No, you can't. You really can't. Far beyond Hollywood. <clears throat> Far beyond anything they can do. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You can't write this. <laughs> 866 90 eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Drivers should be familiar with how their actions affect their motor carrier's compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA score, in the seven basic categories. The driver fitness score is based on the physical and medical qualifications of drivers. The vehicle maintenance category requires drivers to know how to inspect CMVs and secure cargo. Hours of service compliance relies on drivers keeping accurate records of duty and abiding by hours of service limits. The unsafe driving category is affected by unsafe driving behaviors such as failing to wear a seatbelt or obey traffic laws. Drivers should understand the drug and alcohol prohibitions to prevent hurting their carrier's controlled substances and alcohol basic score. And drivers who transport hazmat must know how to safely transport hazardous materials according to the regulations. The final basic category, crash prevention, is based on how many crashes a motor carrier has been involved in, so drivers must know how to drive safely to avoid crashes. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Well, we'll hear nothing from Bragg uh, today. It would be tomorrow. Uh, that Rasmussen poll, though, showing 46% of Democrats say the DA prosecuting Trump in this case would be an outrageous abuse of power. That's, really, that's pretty amazing. Well, you know, it's interesting because... 46%. I say 48 46%. There never was a tide in Bragg's favor or in defense of Bragg's. Uh, and his move on on Trump on this, 
but the tide is really, 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 really against him now. Um, Andrew McCarthy and his piece. This look, you need to drop this. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and and they're they're they. There's no liberal legal analyst looking at this saying, "Oh no, he needs to move forward on this," and this is this is why. Here it is. Uh, here's the actual question. 46% of uh, Democrats actually believe the prosecution would be, quote, an outrageous abuse of power by a radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against Donald Trump. Well, everybody knows what he's done on crime. Yeah. If you've pay- been paying attention, you know, and you can't be happy, especially if you're a Democrat in New York. Right. Remember, this is the DA that had to back off. And he proudly came out when he first became DA and said, if you commit an armed robbery with a gun, as long as you don't shoot the gun, it won't be a felony. Yeah. And that's why in the last couple of weeks, every time I shake my head going, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy. What am I missing? What am I missing? Then I go, oh, wait a minute. This is the guy that tried to convince the public that it shouldn't be a felony to have a, to commit an armed robbery as long as you don't shoot the gun. Right. When you put it in that context, then you go, oh, okay, then I understand why he's it's, doing it because he's he's delusional. Yeah, it's it's beyond weak. Well, and if you're a liberal, you don't want this to go forward because you want something to stick against Trump. And this won't. Trump will likely remember the story that came out uh, just a couple of days after Trump posted on Truth Social that he was going to be indicted. Which, by the way, was after Andrew McCarthy wrote that it would likely happen. It's imminent and it would likely happen in the next week or so. Well, a couple of days later, um, you know, you you essentially had, okay, well, how's this going to play out? Are they going to do a perp walk on a former president? And then the story got out that, oh, Trump wants a perp walk. He wants he wants the media watching him being fingerprinted in the whole thing. Because if this is a if this is a no brainer win for him legally, he uses this all day politically. You would have as many fo- uh, photographers and news groups in that room as as possible as as they would allow to watch this circus because it's nothing more than that you it's saw a circus. you saw he was on with <clears throat> with uh with sean sean yeah and yeah. and you know i by the way i don't buy his explanation for the true social post mm-hmm. where he said that uh you know he it was written and it was just him and the baseball bat and then they added. I don't know who mm, they is. Yeah. They added. Yeah. Uh, the DA next to him. I'm like, okay, that's still. Yeah. But he realizes, however it happened. Yeah, he realizes that was not a good move. Right.
From studios deep within the United States of America, Red Eye Radio. <laughs> and he's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. You know, I, I saw this today. Well, let me put the, I got a bunch of New York Post articles here. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I when I saw this today in National Review, the editors wrote, Democrats versus parents, I thought of when you, we first started talking about all this. And it goes back, how long does it go back to Loudoun County? Is that almost two years? Are we coming up on two years on that? Because <laughs> it was the summer. Yeah, because it was after the election. So it would have been, been the summer of 21. We're coming up to two years. Wow. And that's when you first said, I don't know if it was then you said it, or it could have been then, and then also uh, with the, the parental rights law in uh, in Florida. Uh, I applied it both. It was uh, uh, from a different perspective, obviously, right. with the, the uh, situation in Florida. But with, with Loudon, I couldn't understand... Why they, why the Democrats, why the far left wanted to go to war with parents that you're not going to win it. And it's going to get louder when kids go back to school, when the policies are actually Mm -hmm. implemented and there's a greater push, then the kids are going to come home with that information, give it to the parents and the parents are going to get louder about it. Then the, the, the war on parents in, in Florida, uh, and, and governor DeSantis, uh, rightly doing something about it, and they thought they were going to war with the Republicans. That this is it, even in Loudon, when it was parents showing up at the meetings, they the left saw it as a left versus right thing. But you're not going to win a war versus against yeah. the parents at well, any level, whether it's in Florida or any other state or Virginia or anywhere anywhere else. And you know, often we put on our political consultant hats hats and i think one of the times we did that you just said if i'm looking at this i'm telling them stop this you're you're framing this as a democrat versus republican issue it's not this is democrats against the parents this is because remember it all started because you had the transgender sexually assault that young girl yeah and so that crossed, I mean, that completely crossed, uh, uh, you know, any type of political line at that point. Mm-hmm. And then so did when you got to the, the, the parents' rights law in, um, in Florida, the same thing. And, and you saw, because the Democrats tried to uh, frame it as don't say gay. Mm-hmm. By the way, they did that on the Sunday morning news show, too. I forgot. I think it was Martha Raddatz did it again. Hmm. Called it. That's not since when you refer to a law as what the opposition dictates the title should be. Right. No, the law is the name of the law, mm-hmm. and and again they say that because they know they can't win the argument if they tell you precisely what it's about. And DeSantis proved it because you saw, you saw the numbers, you saw what the polling showed, and then you saw how big of an issue that was. And he goes on to the biggest election victory I've seen written in Florida history. 
yeah. with the number of right. people voting for him right. and that issue. So you can't win it if you explain it. Right. And it's not at that point. And that's why you saw independents come across, minorities come across and vote for DeSantis because nobody wants sexualized content taught to a five-year-old, no right. matter what it is. Right. And they don't want their minor children to be able to come to a decision that without any type of parental consulting, that they can start chopping off body parts. Right. And the Democrats, for some reason, still don't see that. They no. still think no, they it's don't. a left versus right thing. And to them, is you know, they're going against the Republicans who are saying it. But the vote last week, and we had talked about this last week, but just the way they, sometimes when somebody writes something, mm. it, it's a different slant that yeah. even if we explain it one way, we go, oh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And they write last week, Republicans in Congress passed the parents' bill of rights 213 to 208. 208 Democrats voted against it. Critics will dismiss it as a messaging bill, but the message it sends about the Democratic priorities is unsettling in the extreme. And this is why we have said this party is extreme. They are as radical as any political party, major political party, has ever been in the history of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Convince me otherwise. Consider the bill requires schools in receipt of federal funding to publish their curricula and to provide parents with a list of books and materials accessible at the school library. It also contains provisions that require schools to notify parents of any planned elimination of gifted and talented programs, to alert parents to any violent activity that took place at school, to provide parents a forum to speak at school board meetings, and to offer two in-person meetings between parents and teachers each school year. Now, I would be against that last part because when I was in high school, I tried to hide open house where my parents would meet with my <laughs> teachers. So the Republicans are wrong on that one. Oh, wait a minute. Mm. I'm an adult now. Mm. No, they're right on that one. Mm. Uh, but would re, uh, and that does, and, and to offer two in person meetings between parents and teachers in each school year. It requires parental consent for any medical exams or mental health and substance use screenings. Crucially, it establishes for parents the right to know if a school employee or contractor acts to change a minor child's gender markers, pronouns, or preferred name, or allow the child to change the child's sex-based accommodations, including locker rooms or bathrooms. Hmm. As you can guess, each one of these provisions relates to the rash of controversies swirling around public schools in the news the past few years, including introduction of critical race theory and sexually explicit material for young readers and the treacherous subterfuge of school districts making major psychological health decisions for students while deliberately keeping parents in the dark. This is a legitimate debate about whether the federal government ought to assert itself this way upon locally controlled school districts, but that was not the substance of objections from Democrats because Democrats want the federal government 
to control schools, as right. we know. Right. Uh, progressives tend toward hysterical fictions, quote, extreme MAGA Republicans don't want the children of America to learn about the Holocaust. We'd played that audio cut from Hakeem Jeffries. There's nothing in there at all that mm. says that. And mm. they go through all the insane things that Democrats said about it, lying about what is actually in the bill. And as we said, you know, you can look at this as a libertarian, and if it's a libertarian, you sit there and say, you know, well, we don't believe the federal government, the board, of, the, the education department exists. We should exist, that schools should be completely state-run without the federal government because if the Republicans can do it, the Democrats can do it. And that's that's an argument to have, and, you know, we've talked about it before. Right. Uh, but the fact, the substance of what it is, is what the Democrats lied about. It's about not wanting to teach about slavery. Nope, not the case. Hmm. It's about not being, that was the one we loved the most, the representative said, Republicans are being mean to our children with this bill. Yeah. Right. That was my favorite one. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, there's the thing is that um, it really is is such an obvious loser politically. How is it that nobody has stepped in and said, we can't, we can't do this? Because there's no doubt that this is going to take center stage in the summer of 24 at their convention. You're going to have at least one speaker at their convention bring this up and people at the DNC will stand up and give them a standing ovation. And as they write here, here we must reassert the truth. Uh, so premortal that it predates conservatism as a political philosophy. Yeah. Right. Parents are the primary educators of their children. How dare you? Taxes are raised or fees collected. And schools are established only to assist them in this task, not to take it over. Civilized nations uh, uh, deprive parents of this role or limit it only when there is established criminal neglect. Right? Yeah. Democrats, by their universal opposition to this bill in the House, in the Senate, and from the White House are the ones sending a message. They are the party that wants to treat normal parental oversight and curiosity as a conspiracy of the state, seditious and as dangerous for children. It is the most noxious Marxist conviction that the American left cannot shake, that normal family life itself ideologically deforms children. And that only the strong checking and supervisory role of the state can save them from the baleful influence of mommy and daddy. Well, you, uh, you take those a couple, a couple of thoughts there and put them together, and it's kind of what we have been saying. And that is this idea now that they're trying to create that if you disagree with your child when they want to have the surgery, that 
should qualify as child abuse. as criminal neglect. Yep. That's where the state can come in and take full control. And they write here, luckily, even most parents who think of themselves as progressive reject the Democrats' view. Yeah. And and that's but it's important to understand and we've stated this over and over again, and it's not hyperbole. This is what they actually believe. Yeah. This is so right. incredibly radical. You ha- And that's why I've stated over and over again, when you take the top 10 issues out there and where the Democrats stand, they are the most radical major party in the history of the United States. No, I think so. And I think that is the goal. The goal is to, I think they want to win over that right. But think about it. They couldn't get to criminalize the, the parents if they deny the child's wish to have surgery. Think about this. They couldn't get one Democratic member of the House, not one, to vote and say, no, parents have control over their children. Parents have the decision making over their children. The mob will and, come after and, you. Un- unless they're criminally negligent. Right. This is how incredibly radical the Democratic Party is and this, the lies that they promote. Yep. Oh, and this is not hyperbole. This is clear. This is, we watched it. We played the audio cuts yep. last week of the right. Democrats. Right. Well, Republicans are being be... mean. You know you've got no argument left when you're saying Republicans are being mean to children. Right. This is going to be front and center at their convention next summer. This will be one of the big items on their platform as a party. They're going to bring crying children out saying, my mommy and daddy won't let me Likely. do it. Likely. I'm seven years old and... And and I want my body mutilated, and my parents won't let me. Bring some of their friends down from Canada. We'll put you in jail if you don't use your child's preferred yeah, pronoun. pronoun. Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, it's just it's my. It's you think about it. It's absolutely mind-boggling how incredibly radical and perverted, because this is perversion, and it's not going away. Eight six six ninety red eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90 of Red Eye. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for uh, being here. And there was an article in CNN, a reminder of why Joe Biden's in the White House, and I think it's uh, the media trying to get it past East uh, Palestine, saying he had great things to say and response was quick to Mississippi. And so this is why we have Joe Biden in the White House instead of Donald Trump, who's basically being mean at his, you know, at at his, I mean, the analogy was just dumb yeah. to begin with because right. Trump isn't president, right? But it's they're trying to get past East Palestine as quickly as possible.
is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker, although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Do we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord, we get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.